Finch, would you turn with me please to the words that we read in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, and reading again verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. First World War was once described as the war to end all wars. But the sad reality is that today we're remembering not only those who fell in the First World War, but also those who fell in the Second World War and subsequent conflicts since. But this morning we're going to look at Revelation 19 and what might be described as the last battle the final conflict that will be won by Jesus, this great warrior of heaven, and that is going to usher in the day when wars will be no more, and not only wars, but even the rumors of wars. So we're going to look at these verses that we read in verses 11 through to 21 under two headings, the description and then the destruction. The description and then the destruction. First you have the description, look at verses 11 through to 16. Here we see the description of the warrior. Let's just situate ourselves now in the text. The book of Revelation was written by John, a follower and friend of Jesus, and he is in exile on the island of Patmos, separated from his congregation, separated from his loved ones, separated from his fellow apostles, and watching the ever-increasing persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And he's given this series of visions and revelations concerning the future and the final return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the primary thrust of these visions is really to assure John and to assure John's readers that Jesus is going to have the last word. He will have the last word on sin, the last word on death, the last word on the devil. And in verses 11 through to 16, John's given a vision of Jesus as the great warrior of heaven. John begins with an exclamation. Look at verse 11. He tells us that he saw heaven opened. Whenever we read about heaven being opened, it signals a revelation from God. And now John informs his readers that he was given a glimpse into the heavenly realm, a heavenly dimension where he saw another divine disclosure, another vision. And John goes on and tells us that he saw a white horse. In the ancient world, uh, conquering emperors and conquering captains would return from their victories riding on white horses, white chargers. And now John sees a white horse that signals that a conqueror is coming, a, a victorious king is coming. And John tells us that he saw a rider on the white horse. As we go through this vision, we see that the rider is none other than Jesus. And John tells us that his name is Faithful and True. He's the one who keeps his word, the one who never breaks a promise, the one who's committed to his people, the one who will never let his people down. And he judges and makes war in righteousness. The way that he executes his rule, the way that he engages in conflict is above reproach. No one can ever charge him with any wrongdoing. No one can ever say to him, you ruled in this situation in a wrong way. No one can ever say to him, you engaged in this war in a wrong way. And John proceeds to give a description of this great warrior, this Jesus, 
in verses 12 through to 14. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees everything. He sees a person's outward actions, but not just their outward actions, but also their inward motivations. There's nothing unknown that escapes his gaze and his notice. There, there's no great family secret that no one knows about, not even he knows about. He knows everything. You and I come into this building, we put on a good front, we put on the mask, not only the physical mask, but also the metaphorical mask, and we're smiling behind the mask, and we're saying, we're doing great, we're doing fine, and he says, I see it all. I see it all. I see behind the masks. He has many diadems, many crowns on his head. He is the cosmic king. He possesses absolute authority. There is no region, no nation that is beyond the scope of his reach or reign. He has a name that is only known by himself. In the ancient world, to know a person's name was to exercise control or power over them. You remember how in the Gospels the demons are asking Jesus, what is your name? And he is asking them, what is your name? And here we see that he has a name, this heavenly warrior, that no one knows. No one can control him. No one can manipulate him. No one has any power or authority over him. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Something that's a reference to his own blood, his atoning blood, the blood that he shed on the cross. But it makes more sense in this context, as we'll see, to see it as the blood of his enemies. He has the name, the Word of God. In John's Gospel, we see that Jesus is often referred to as the Word. And now John tells us that this Jesus, the warrior of heaven, is the Word of God. He is the living revelation of God. Everything that he says reveals the character of God. Everything that he does reveals the character of God. If you want to see God, where do you look? You look to Jesus. Because he is the Word of God, the living revelation, the living manifestation of God. Eyes followed by the armies of heaven. That could be a reference to the legions of angels. You remember him when he's arrested in Mark's gospel and he says, I could call down ten legions of angels. But it could also be a reference to the countless multitude of people whom he has redeemed that we read about in Revelation 7. It actually makes most sense to see it as a combination of both. That this is the armies of angels, but also the armies of his redeemed people, the armies of believers, you and I, the, the church triumphant. And they're following him on white horses, dressed in white linen, signifying their own purity and their own victory. John goes on to describe the warrior's mission. Look at verse 15. John tells us that he will strike down the nations with the sharp sword coming from his mouth. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 49, you see that the Messiah, God's chosen king, is one who has a mouth with which a, a sharp sword comes. His word is powerful. His word is piercing. And here we find this warrior being described as the one who strikes down the nations with the sword coming from his mouth. The powerful words coming from his lips. John then tells us that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. In Psalm 2, that we're going to sing in a few moments, that the Messiah is spoken of as breaking the enemies of God with a rod of iron. And here we find this warrior being described as one who rules the nations with an iron rod. And finally, John tells us that he will tread the winepress of the wrath of God the Almighty. In Isaiah 63, the Lord speaks about a day of vengeance, a day when he will trample 
his enemies in the wineplace of his wrath so that their blood spatters on his garments. And here we find this warrior being described as trampling the winepress of the wrath of God the Almighty. And and he's wearing these robes that have been dipped in blood, the, the blood of his enemies. So what we're seeing here is that all these Old Testament prophecies, all these Old Testament promises about a coming Messiah, a coming warrior who is going to conquer the wicked... All of these prophecies and promises find their fulfillment, their achievement, their accomplishment in none other than the warrior of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John closes with a summary of this warrior in verse 16. Throughout history there have been many kings, many emperors, many presidents, many prime ministers, some good, some bad, some ugly. They've all held sway over a time. And they've all gone. But this warrior of heaven, this rider on the white horse, this Jesus is given the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the King and Lord who surpasses every other King and Lord. He is the King and Lord who is sovereign and supreme over every other King and every other Lord. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And if Nicola Sturgeon was to wander into this building today and he was to be standing there, she would have to bow the knee to him. And if Boris Johnson was to stumble and stagger into this building as unkempt as ever, and uh, he was to say, here I am, I am the ruler of the United Kingdom, he would have to bow the knee to this King and Lord. And if Joe Biden and if the Queen herself was to come into this building, they would have to bow the knee to this great warrior of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. So as we consider these verses, we can hear John saying, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. The gospel frequently presents us with a compassionate Jesus. He is the one who describes himself as being gentle and lowly in heart. He's the one who takes the little children in his arms and blesses them. He's the one who refuses to break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. He's the one who looks at the crowd and feels compassion toward them. Dane Orkland writes that Jesus given to us in the gospel is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful actions stem from his innermost heart as rays from the sun. Maybe you need to remind yourself of this compassionate Jesus today. Do you need to remember the compassionate Jesus? But the gospel also presents us, doesn't it, with the conquering Jesus. The the Jesus who is the warrior of heaven. The one who sits on the white horse with flaming eyes of fire and many crowns and diadems on his head. The Jesus who wears a robe dipped in the blood of his enemies and strikes them down with the word of his mouth. The Jesus who possesses the name and title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This passage is saying, remember who Jesus is. The warrior of heaven. I hope the young people here have read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I know, Finley, you have. Uh, It's a great book and I'm going to give you the proper BBC DVD soon because they're brilliant. But in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you've got this great scene of the beavers telling the children about the coming of Aslan. Aslan's this great lion who's going to end the white witch's reign this winter that she's going to bring. And Susan says to the beavers, 
that she's quite nervous about meeting this lion Aslan. And Lucy says that uh, she doesn't know if he's safe. She says to the beavers, is he safe? And, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver say, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's not safe. He's a lion. But he is good. And that is the message of Revelation 19. Jesus, the warrior of heaven, isn't safe. So if you've got a comfortable Jesus today, get rid of that idea. He isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. How do you see Jesus today? Do you see him as being of little consequence? Or a comfort blanket in times of trouble? Or do you see him as the conquering king, the cosmic king, the warrior of heaven? We might not need that message, but can you imagine John there on the island of Patmos and he's seen Christian after Christian being tied to the stake, burned to death in the Colosseums of Rome, thrown to the lions, and he's thinking, where is it all going to end? And he's given this picture of conquering Christ, the conquering Jesus, the warrior of heaven, and he's been told, don't you worry. Don't you worry. But we move from the description to the destruction. Look at verses 17 to 21, where we see the destruction now of the wicked. We've seen the description of the warrior, now the destruction of the wicked. Verses 17 and 18, we hear this declaration. John tells us what he saw at the beginning of verse 17. He has seen heaven open, seen the rider on the white horse. And he now sees an angel standing in the sun. It's a dazzling spectacle. If you and I were to see it, we would have to shield our eyes. We, we, we would be almost blinded. And the angel is calling out with a loud voice to all the birds flying overhead. And John tells us what he heard. Look at verses 17 and 18. The angel summons the birds to come and gather for the great supper of God. And the birds are invited to eat the flesh of various kinds of people. The flesh of kings. The flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, the small and the great, the, the slave and the free. Now in the Old Testament we see that to give a person's flesh to the birds was a sign of total defeat. Do you remember in 1 Samuel 17 you've got Goliath, the giant, facing down young David. And Goliath is infuriated when he sees David and he says, I am going to feed your flesh to the birds. And now this angel is speaking about the defeat of kings, captains, mighty men, horses, riders, the small and the great, the slave and the free. And he says that they will be fed to the birds of the, of the air at the great supper of God. We move from the declaration to the destruction in verses 19 to 21. John sees the defiance of those who are opposed to the warrior of heaven in verse 19. Uh, just before going any further, it's important to understand what John means here because he starts speaking about the beast and the prophet. Who are the beast and the prophet? Is it Joe Biden? Is it Nicola Sturgeon? Is it chief medical officers? Who, who are the beast and the prophet? These figures have all been mentioned throughout Revelation chapters 13 to 19. The beast quite simply represents all antichrist government and rule. The prophet represents all antichrist religion and philosophy. So it's not a particular person. It's, it's a mindset. 
a mindset and the beast and the prophet function throughout Revelation chapters 13 to 19 as servants of the great dragon, the devil, Satan. And now we find the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies coming against the rider on the white horse, the warrior of heaven and his army. They've heard the angels speaking about the coming defeat of all those who are opposed to God. And instead of bowing the knee, they, they rise up. They take their stand against the warrior of heaven. Richard Buse calls it the final cataclysmic punch-up of good versus evil. You've got the, the, the wicked beast, the prophet, the kings of the earth, all lining up against the warrior on the white horse and his army who are dressed in white. But the defiance of the beast and the kings ends in defeat. Look at verse 20. The beast captured taken hold of, unable to escape. The prophet's also captured. He's described as the one who did signs and deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And now the beast and the prophet are thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. That lake is mentioned again in Revelation 20 verse 10 as the place where the beast and the prophet and the great dragon are all tormented day and night forever and ever. It's mentioned again in Revelation 20 verse 14 as the place in which death and Hades are finally thrown. And it's mentioned again in Revelation 20 verse 15 as the place in which anyone whose name wasn't found in the Lamb's book of life is finally cast. Now, did you notice the remarkable ease? with which this last battle is won. You know I love the Lord of the Rings films and I love winter because every winter I get extended DVDs of Lord of the Rings and I just sit watching these films and they've got epic battle scenes. It seems where you've got the evil sorcerer Sauron taking on the, the good king Aragorn and the battles go on for hours and hours and you actually feel it as you're watching the extended editions. They, they just go on and on and you don't know who's going to win but there's none of that here in Revelation 19. The beast and the prophet are simply captured, taken hold of and thrown into the lake of fire in the blink of an eye. I love that. I love that. There's no who's going to win. And it's all brought to a conclusion with the devastation experienced by their followers. Look at verse 21. All the kings and all their armies who had sided with the beast and the prophet are now slain by the sword coming from the mouth of the warrior of heaven. Here's the ultimate weapon of mass destruction. In Genesis 1, we read that Jesus created the world with a word. In Hebrews 1, we read that Jesus sustains, he upholds the universe with the word of his power. Every galaxy created by the word of Jesus, every atom and molecule held in place by the word of Jesus, and now his word is unleashed against those who have taken their stand against him. And he strikes them down. And the birds come and gorge on their flesh, fulfilling what the angels said in verses 17 and 18. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we can hear John saying, this is what Jesus is going to do. This is what Jesus is going to do. You know, there's a lot going on in these verses. There's a lot we don't understand. There's a lot of apocalyptic language, symbolic language, language that we think, what on earth is going on here? But what we can take away from these verses is that history is going somewhere. History is not going round and round in circles. History is moving forward. 
History is moving toward the triumph of good over evil. History is moving toward the full and final victory of Jesus, the warrior of heaven over all his enemies. And if you're a Christian today, then that's good news for you. Again, maybe for the benefit of the younger folk, but sometimes it's not always the younger folk who appreciate these things, but in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, the beavers are telling the children about the coming of Aslan, and they repeat an old song, and you've heard me quote this I don't know how many times over the last six or seven years. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. But when he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. When he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. And that is the message of Revelation 19. Jesus, the warrior of heaven, is going to conquer. And if you're one of his people, then his victory is your victory. You can press on in the Christian life. You can persevere as a follower of Jesus, knowing that the rider on the white horse carries no white flag of surrender. I love that. You can press on in the Christian life, knowing that the rider on the white horse carries no white flag of surrender. Richard Buse puts it like this. Yes, we are living in the immediate present. But if you have an inadequate view of the future, you can be very sure that the present will make very little sense at all. The book of Revelation was given to help God's people of every era to get their focus right. Wherever we are called to be, whatever adversity we may be called to face, the Lamb is still in the midst of the throne. The past is atoned for. The rider on the white horse is in control and inspires our pilgrimage. The bright morning star is there before our gaze. And tomorrow belongs to us. Tomorrow belongs to us. Isn't that good news? It's not good news to begin a new day and a new week hearing. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's a bee in my bonnet. As I drive home from church on Sundays, I sometimes see Christians coming from their different services, not from this church, but from other places. And they are so glum-faced. And I look at them and I think, are you coming from a funeral? We should be leaving our services as the happiest people on earth because we have heard that our king is going to have the victory. We are not gathering around the cross at Calvary to simply meditate on the death of Jesus. We are coming to remember that the tomb is empty and the king is reigning and the king is returning and we better stop leaving our services looking as if the weight of the world is on our shoulders. Yes, there's COVID. And yes, there's going to be updates on Facebook saying there are 15 cases or 20 cases. And yes, people are going to be saying to us in the co-op, did you hear that so-and-so's got COVID and isn't life hard? Friends, the king is reigning and he is returning and he's going to make everything new and better. Do we believe that? Friend, on, watching online, do you believe that? Do we believe that? But if you're not a Christian today, then, then there is a warning for you. Before dropping the atom bomb, the Americans dropped leaflets warning the Japanese of prompt and utter destruction unless they surrendered. And President Truman appeared on the radio and warned of the coming rain of ruin from the air, the like of which has never been seen on earth. 
But we know the story. The Japanese refused to surrender. The atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, causing incalculable devastation. And in many ways, Revelation 19 is a leaflet that has been dropped from heaven. Dropped from the courts of heaven, saying, The warrior of heaven is coming. Are you ready to meet him? Today I am urging you, friend, don't wait. Don't delay. Don't waste time. Don't miss the opportunity. Run to, run to this Jesus. Run to the warrior of heaven. As we'll sing in Psalm 2, bow, friend, before you are broken. Bow before you are broken. So this morning we focused on the last battle. We have focused on the day in which Jesus will have the final victory. And the question I want to leave you with is, is that day spelling ruin for you? Or is it spelling great rejoicing for you? I hope and pray, friends, that we would leave this building today. We would close our Bibles today saying, there's rejoicing for us. There's a great warrior and he's going to have the final victory.